On behalf of my family, Lori, she's here. Wave Lori to everybody. Uh, and all the cooks, we want to wish you uh, and may the Lord bless you as you celebrate with your families tomorrow. Do we have a lot to be thankful for? Yeah, I think it's uh, Psalm 106 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. And his mercy endures forever. We woke up today and God has blessed us. And a lot of that hinges on the fact that he is a merciful God, a gracious God, and a good God. And we also, um, our church provided a lot of meals for people around the community. And we took those meals out. Oh, there they are. They're showing uh, that behind us right now. Um, today, uh, if, if you don't know, we're, we're a church that likes to eat around here a lot. Uh, the guys were smoking turkeys the last couple of days. I'm, I'm the honorary cupbearer when that happens. It was really delicious stuff. But uh, anyway, let's welcome up Randy again. He is going to finish up where he left off. Kind of. Kind of. Thank you, Randy. Okay. Okay. I'm waiting to see if they get up here. Hey, it's working on the front. I guess we'll just do it that way. See if this works. There we go. Good. Um, let's pray. Father, as we consider once again what you've done in history and how you've moved amongst your people, even a small group of people. We're a small group here tonight, Lord. And we pray in the same way that you moved, that you touched hearts, that you gave vision, you gave you empowered them to see a future, that you gave them confidence, that you gave them boldness, and you allowed them to persevere. We pray that you would do those same things with us. We thank you for your work in our hearts, our lives, our families at this Thanksgiving time, and we pray that we'd leave here today even more thankful for what you've done and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how many of you were here last Wednesday? Okay. I'm not going to do the same thing all over again. <laughs> um, when I finished Lance, we were talking about it, and I came down and I said, I had to cram all kinds of stuff in there, and I didn't say everything that I wanted to say, but I kind of condensed it. So then when he said, do part two, I'm kind of going, how do you do part two when you finished it? <laughs> so to speak, and you're, you're going along there. So what I wanted to do is, you know, this last week I've thought a lot about Thanksgiving. I've read hundreds and hundreds of pages. I've listened to podcasts. I've watched videos, just hearing what everybody has to say about Thanksgiving. And uh, if I start talking faster, the last Monday I wasn't feeling real well, and I've still been recovering. But as I watched it afterwards, I said, I was really talking slow. Now, you might not have thought so but I was really talking slow for me. It was really, really slow. So tonight it'll probably be a lot faster. By the way, where's, where's Nick and Amber? Oh, there they are. They're back from their honeymoon. So congratulations. I'm used to seeing you up here. So. And then John and Kelly Bush are proud new grandparents again. So they are, the baby is beautiful. And so congratulations to all of you. So what I wanted to do is give you three quotes, just to kind of put Thanksgiving in perspective in terms of not just the history of it, but what it's been here. So this is what William Bradford wrote. He goes, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the fast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perilous and miseries thereof. Last and not least, they cherish a great hope an inward zeal of laying good foundations for the propagation and advancement of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in the remotest parts of the world. And I find that interesting because he's writing this. We know everything that I've been sharing and that we've, you may have heard about Thanksgiving because William Bradford kept a journal and we have that. So we have all of his writings as he's going along. And so you can imagine he's writing this about that perilous crossing and he goes, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land. I think it would have been a lot more emotional than what we see here. Later on, George Washington. Now this is probably, well, we're talking 1790, 170 years later. 
This is what George Washington would say. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Now therefore I do appoint Thursday, the 26th day of November, 1789, that we may all unite to render unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his care and protection. And then lastly, let's jump ahead to Abraham Lincoln. So now we're in 1863, so we're, what, 70-some, 70 years later after that. This is about six weeks before he goes back to Gettysburg and gives the Gettysburg Address. It's in the middle of the Civil War, right in the middle of it. He says this, we've been recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American United States. And then in 1941, uh, FDR basically codified Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday of the month would be celebrated by, by Americans. So when you think back now, last week, but thinking of what we discovered, we, we talked about kind of the history we got into um, the kings, we talked about that Tudor dynasty, that 100-year dynasty, and 75,000 people were killed. We talked a little bit about Spain, and there was Portugal, and all this worldwide things going on. There were things going on in India, and the Ottoman Empire, that was taking place. The Aztec and the Inca, Incas in South America, that's all taking place. So the world is a turmoil. There's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's slaves of all color, all nations, all nationalities, all this is going on, and these 100 people are on a ship. We learned that 41 of them were actually pilgrims that came down from Leiden over to England and then took off and then came back and then took off and came back and took off again. And they, after 66 days of rough weather in a small little boat 80 feet by 25 feet, 1,500 square foot home, 102 people plus 40 crew crammed in there. They get over to the other side. And you might think, well, did they really endure that much? Well, in my life today, and in your life probably at some point in time, if you're a guy, have you ever worried about a job, providing for your family? Guys, gals, if you have too. You worry about providing for yourself and taking care of your families perhaps in the same way. Your health. We went through two years of a pandemic or worrying about your family, the people that you're not with, or money problems, Who, who's ever had money problems, or worrying about a future, or your future plans, or what you're gonna do in retirement, or um, life and death situations. They had to deal with persecution. We haven't experienced that really in this country. We call our, when the governor comes down and says you have to close, we call that the church is being persecuted. But in those days, the persecution was if you went to church or you opened up and read the wrong Bible or listened to the wrong pastor, the persecution you experienced was having your hands bound or burnt at the stake. It was a little different in those days. You went through hunger. Well, their hunger might have been six seeds and a teaspoon of vinegar. That's all they got. And if that was all you had, that meant all your children have. And your children were clothed with very little and they were cold at night. And so the women would huddle around their kids and keep them like a hen with her, her wings around them and the moms would die. Most of the women passed away during those, those first two months. So keep the children alive. So yeah, they had to worry about their kids. They were afraid about that. They were worried about, boy, should I have even done this thing? What was I thinking? Have you ever done that? You ever done something in your life, made a decision, and then come back and said, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. They went through that too, the hopelessness, feeling such despair, fearful. A land they didn't know, they had, you get to a boat. Now think about this. When you're coming down of England, and you're coming down along the coast, down along Maine, and then you see that little crook there that's, and that was Provincetown, that's where they landed. They stayed there six weeks. They got the little boat, little shallot there, and then they went down along the coast. I'm sure I've got that somewhere here. Well, I'll show you in a minute. They've got, they went down along the coast, and then they scouted, and then they went back. The wives and the kids were still on the boat. 
that leaky boat that was wet any rain and inclement weather, it was cold. In fact, they said their clothes were like dripping and hanging ice. They couldn't get out and walk around because they were waiting to find a place to land. So they found Provincetown. They actually got out of the main uh, ocean there, but now they're in the harbor and they're trying to figure out what, where do we go, what do we do? It had been, all been charted before by John Smith, so they knew there was areas around here, they just didn't know where they were. Well, around December 25th, or 24th, they take out on the boat and they're going around the harbor and there's this little island there just about three miles off where they currently land, or where the Plymouth is today, and it's called Clark's Island. And it was on Saturday and they got shipwrecked on that little shallot on that place. So just when you think they've gone through everything, when every consequence that could go wrong, you finally see land. In every movie you've ever seen, someone's up there in the crow's nest and they go, land! And everybody just is filled with this joy because finally they got to land. They finally get to land and there's nothing there, just dirt. And it's cold and it's icy. That's what they were experiencing at that point in time. The shallot goes out, it gets shipwrecked and they're on an island. So what do you do when you're shipwrecked on an island, the main boat and the rest of your families and everything are you know, a couple miles away on the main ship. What do you do when you're shipwrecked on an island? First thing that comes to mind is, well, you might get some wood, try to build a fire, do something to get warm, some kind of protection or something. You know, you know what they did? It was the Sabbath. So they gathered together and they worshiped. That's what they did. And as I was thinking about that, you can't teach that. Oftentimes when I'm in Washington, D.C., and I go to Arlington and places, and I talk to the young people about bravery, you only get one chance at being brave and losing your life. You can't practice it. You can't do it again and again until you get it right. You can't practice being shipwrecked 66 days with no food, no clothing, and no place to go, and then land on a piece of land and think, Oh, it's the Sabbath, let's go worship together. It doesn't happen unless it's already here, right? You can't fake that. When I was in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I was talking with a, an Amish family that I've become very good friends with, and here in Los Angeles, there was a, a newspaper clipping that was talking about the murder of six Amish school kids. And there was a classroom, they're all in a single room, uh, building together, and the gunman had come in and he had told the young boys to leave. And then the six girls were left and they, they were murdered. And the next day in the newspaper here in the Los Angeles Times, the big story was how the Amish had agreed to forgive them. They had come forth and said, we forgive them. And I thought, how in the world could you forgive someone for such a heinous crime? And you look at today and all the things that are going on with Colorado Springs and what just happened in the Walmart, you, people are being cut, shot, and killed, and you wonder, and then to come out the next day and forgive. How do you do that? So I was with the Amish family and I said, how do you do that? Because this was in Lancaster, the same community that we visited, that we visited as a church. And he said, Randy, when I was a, a young boy, I, my grandpa would take me out and we'd do our chores throughout the day and something would come up. He would talk to me about forgiveness. And probably every day for most of my 55 years that he was at that time, he said, I was taught forgiveness. And so when it came time to actually demonstrate and show forgiveness, it was the most natural thing in the world for me to do. I had been taught how to forgive. And so when it came time to forgive, I forgave. I just did what I was taught. And I thought that was interesting because the pilgrims from the time that they left Leiden, excuse me, the time they left England, went over to Leiden, it was 1607 that they had their first attempt. Remember the captain sold them out, they were imprisoned, and then they got a second chance, and then the men got on the ship and the wives were left behind and they went through the North Sea and they were tossed around for two weeks and they were the only ship out of 100 that survived. And it was a year later, they all got together, so it took two years to get across a 150 mile little stretch of water. And when they all got together, they were with William Brewster and John Robinson. These are the guys that were part of Leiden University. I don't know if you know, we talk about Leiden the Pilgrims. Do you know that Leiden became one of the most richest cities in the world at that time, in the early 1600s? 
It was not a fluke city. There was a king, later king of England, William of Orange, and he actually started a university there in 1575. And it became a massively popular and scholarly university. And William Brewster taught there, taught English, and John Robinson was a pastor, and he was there in another capacity. And these were the men that started teaching the pilgrims. They taught them about government, about self-government, about reliance, about building good laws and having um, bottom-up government. They were taught those things for 12 years. William Bradford, the one that wrote the diary that I'm talking about, he actually, because of the influence of the Jewish people there, he actually decided later on when he was on, in the New World, he self-taught himself Hebrew because he figured, I need to know the scriptures as God wrote them. And he self-taught them. But that was all inspired by those 12 years that they were in Leiden. Now, at the time that they were in Leiden, it was, I think I told you the other day, it was a textile industry, but you had to join the unions. Well, if you're a foreigner and you can't speak the language, you can't join the union. So you get the sweeping jobs. You get the jobs that no one else wants. You get the jobs that are out in the cold. And then your kids have to sometimes work too, but they can't speak the language. So they're forced to do things that they don't want to do. And then you're the parent. You're looking at parents today. How many of you are concerned about how much time your kids spend on a phone or social media? We're all dealing with it. Well, they had the same problem there. They had their kids there for 12 years, and they were being influenced by the culture of the day. And they didn't know what it was doing and what it was, like some of us when the internet and all of these different programs come out. I call myself techie, but I couldn't do a TikTok video. And so your kids come home and they're talking all this language and you're starting to say, well, I guess it's okay. Well, that's what, they had that same problem. And they found their kids were becoming swayed by the culture. There was a culture war that the pilgrims were going through. Now, lest we misunderstand it, that pilgrims were not running away from everything I just told you about. All the persecution, all the things they did, they were not running away. They were running to something. God had birthed a vision that they were running to get. They were not running to leave something behind. They were running towards something. God birthed a vision, and they said, we won't stop till we get there. And that's why all, last week when we talked about the circumstances, it'd be really easy to look at those circumstances as being the driving force behind them. But whether it was a good circumstance or it was a bad circumstance, I want to say it was irrelevant, it had no impact on whether they were going to move forward or not. Because the vision, the birth on the inside, which later on became the birth of liberty on the inside that we moved forward 170 years, our founding fathers looked back on that and said, we want to take that liberty too, and we want to take it and put it into our whole government system. So the founding fathers had founding fathers, and that's who we're reading about at Thanksgiving time here. So Thanksgiving, it wasn't a day. It wasn't a day, but it was an understanding that they had. It wasn't based on circumstances, but it was based on a biblical truth. That's why they could endure the things they did. They were Calvinists. They very strongly believed that, that God was providentially determining things. And so when things happened, it wasn't, they never thought for a second, well, I wonder if, I wonder if God's behind that or not. That just wouldn't, that wasn't part of their thinking. You know, it's like when it says, he called those things that were not as though they were in Romans. You know, that's what they would did. They would walk out in faith. They would believe faith without works is dead. And yet they were strong Calvinists at the same time. God determined it. But if God determines it, my responsibility to God is to work with him, to move with him. And so that's what they did. It was an understanding of truth. So just when you think the worst is over and you get to January, you've landed, you're, you're shipwrecked, but you have a worship service. And then you decide you're gonna get everybody else and you get in the boat and you come back over and you come over to Plymouth Rock. And then when William Bradford came back, they said, oh, by the way, your wife stepped off the ship and she drowned. Just when he thought the end, the bad stuff was over, that's the first news he got. So then they in January, and now it's icy cold. And in 60 days, 
half of them died. So that group of 40 is now down to a group of 20. 60 days. The Squanto story and the Thanksgiving story and all that, that's something in the future. They're not anywhere near that yet. We're just in February. It's still icy cold, and that's what they're facing right now. So what do you do? What do we do today? And what the pilgrims, and you read their writings, what they decided, it was not what God has given us. That's not why we were going to be, that's not why they were going to be thankful. But it's to acknowledge who he was and what he's done. And you say, well, that's, we all know that stuff. But they were taught that every day for 12 years. It's not about what he gives you, it's who he is and what he does. Who he is and what he does. A circumstance came up as, well, who is God? Well, he's almighty, he's, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient. All those things would come out of their mouths. What does he do? He shows loving kindness, he shows grace, he gives, shows praise to the weak, the proud, and opposes the proud, grace to the humble. Those are the things that they would learn for 12 years. How do you overcome the circumstances? Because the circumstances is not what you see. You see the things that you've been taught that have been in front of your eyes for 12 years. My wife and I watch, well, I watch a whole lot of Hallmark movies. <laughs> I think there's 363 and I've watched them all five times. We have it down to the timing, the frame, we know what minute, what's the good, and we can watch maybe five minutes and I can tell you the whole movie. And if you watch them all, you know what I'm talking about. But in all, a lot of those movies, there's always that point, not all of them, but many of them at Christmas time where they sit down at night and the kids cuddle up into bed next to mom and she pulls out the story towards the night before Christmas or the dad's reading it. And it's one of those tender moments in the movie. Well, the pilgrims had those tender moments too. It wasn't the night before Christmas. It was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being and through him, apart from him, nothing has come into being that's come to being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And they heard those things again and again and again. When the dad would get to the point, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Daddy, what does endurance mean? And he'd share with them what endurance meant. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Daddy, does that mean? Every night they'd have a story. They would read those things. The scripture was there. So it's not that the pilgrims were supernatural people, were supernatural faith. The pilgrims were... Readers and doers of the word. And so when the circumstances came, they were prepared. They were ready to go. This is something I, I don't know how to phrase this very well, but I wrote it down, there's, there's no victory in human logic and understanding. Now, what do I mean by that? And again, I'm looking at the pilgrims now. As I just mentioned, they had all these spiritual reasons to why they were strong. They could have had discussions among themselves and kind of said, well, you know, um, you know God's ways aren't our ways and kind of put, we kind of talk it through, we get philosophical about it. Well, you know, well, you know, days like a thousand years, we'll take scripture and we'll take that and we'll kind of logically weave a story to make it fit so we can kind of justify why these things happen. And so we apply some human logic to it. And the pilgrims didn't do that. They, first off, they didn't know logic in the sense that I'm using it here. But the human understanding is not what got them through those, that harsh winter. It's not what led them to the next place. It's not the one that said, hey, here's how we should treat the Indians. Here's how we should respond to the Indians. When they were on their ship, I told you they stayed out there. When they landed, they got out and they started building. The first thing they built was kind of a hospital. But the crewmen all stayed in the ship. That first two winters, when everybody's dying, what were those women and men doing with that crew? 
the crew that made fun of them and ridiculed and wanted nothing to do with them, what do you think those pilgrims were doing with that crew? They were feeding them, they were tending them and taking care of them. They would have to bury them. You say, why did they do that? Because it's, it wasn't any different. It wasn't a circumstance that they were responding to. It was the word that had been infused in their heart that they were living out. The circumstance just gave them another opportunity to live out that which was already there. And in a sense, we kind of get that here a little bit. When the pandemic hit, and Lance said, we're not closing down, we, we are the church, we're gonna be the church, we're gonna go do church. And so what did we do? We gathered together here, we got food together, and we took it out, we took it to people's houses, we did everything. We did everything that he'd been teaching us about being a believer and living a life of Christ. We took it at that moment and we said, well, here's the circumstance, let's go be Christ now. That's what we did. That's what the pilgrims were doing. I'm not gonna go back and through this other than to say this. This is the timeline that I gave you in that red area there. That's the thing that influenced the pilgrims the most. And at the time, and I told you here, uh, Henry VIII somewhere, I guess I'm gonna put him over there. Oh, there he is, up on top. When he married Catherine of Aragon, her cousin was the king of Spain. So when he said, I want my, my marriage annulled, the archduke, the pope, all this political stuff is all now, at one point in time, the Holy Roman Emperor and the King of Spain were one and the same person. All of that stuff was common information to young people growing up, the history of the day. You knew that Spain was out there trying to, you had to worry about Spain. And Spain, of course, was very, very Catholic. You had to worry about that. With each of those changing, the pilgrims had to be mindful of what was going on in their culture. We thought about it during the pandemic. Well, our church is gonna stay open or are they gonna close? That was the kind of the thing that people worried about. Well, what's the government? What's the city? What's the court? What's the state gonna do if we violate and go against their wills? Some cities were more favorable. Think of that as the Protestants. Some were not as favorable. I, don't, I shouldn't say Protestant or Catholic, but the other side. And so you tended to, to go to the cities or you went based on what they did. Well, that's what everybody had to do in those days not the pilgrims. That was a circumstance that when they lived out, they lived out that which was inside them, and whether it was a King Henry or the Queen Mary or the Queen Elizabeth, it didn't make any difference. Now, one of the things that I didn't tell you is in 1587, Mary had a first cousin. Her name was Mary, Queen of Scots, and she was, um, well, her husband, well, let me jump back a second. Queen Mary here married Prince Philip. And so he became kind of the King Sordium of England. Well, then Mary dies in 1558. Well, he thought he should be king because he married the queen. Well, it wasn't gonna work out, so he went up to Queen Elizabeth and said, why don't I marry you? And she said, no. She was the virgin queen. And she said no. Well, fast forward a couple of hundred, a couple of decades later on, and now there's all kinds of rumors of plots and things of that going on of trying to assassinate the, um, the queen, and she finds out about it. And so Mary, Queen of Scots, was her cousin, and she was in conversations with Prince Philip, and it cost her her neck. She was beheaded by Queen Elizabeth. In 1588, the Spanish now, they are the most powerful nation in the world. They control everything. They control the Netherlands. One of the reasons the pilgrims left is because Spain and the Netherlands, their peace treaty was gonna end, and they said, we gotta get out of here before that ends. But in 1588, Spain attacks England. And you, you and I know that as the Spanish Armada. They're going around that little island of England, and Spain brings 130 ships, they've got 26,000 soldiers and, and uh, seamen. They've got thousands of cannons, 2,500 cannons of bronze and iron cannons mounted on these ships. And England's just got little ships. 
And here's what Queen Elizabeth says. She goes, let tyrants fear, I have always so behaved myself that under God I have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard in the loyal hearts and goodwill of my subjects. I am amongst you, resolved in the mild, excuse me, in the midst and heat of battle to live or die amongst you all, to lay down for my God and for my kingdoms and for my people, my honor, my blood, even in the dust. I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and of a king of England too, and think foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm. I myself will take up arms. I myself will be your general. By your valor in the field, we shall shortly have a famous victory over those enemies of my God, my kingdom, and of my people. And I go, whoa! She put on her armor, and she gave that speech. Very Winston Churchillian, I guess you could say. And she was out there, and she went out there, and Sir Francis Drake, you might have heard of him, he was the kind of the guy in charge of all the ships, and the Spanish galleons come over and they're going up against the ships and they're really big and strong. And they kind of go along the French side over there and then the winds and the weather starts coming up. And all of a sudden those Spanish ships can't move very fast. And so Francis Drake is kind of darting. And then he takes some ships and he goes downwind and then he lights them on fire and lets them float down into the Spanish ships and all the Spanish ships get caught on fire, and so they start pulling up anchor and go running off, running away to get away, and then they were just picked off one by one. Well, needless to say, the Spanish lost that war. Had they won, had the Spanish won, this is 1588, there would have been no pilgrims. There would have been no trip to Plymouth Rock. There'd have been no New England. We might be the conquistadors and everything else that had come over. Remember when the Pipokums came over, they came over with families, men, women, and children. The conquistadors came over to pillage and to steal and to gain wealth. All of that the pilgrims brought, none of that would have happened had the Spanish won and defeated England and their Spanish armada was. And you say, whoa, what does that sound like? Well, when you read what she was thinking, I mean, what did the pilgrims think of that? God's in control. God's in control of these things. We talk about it in American history when George Washington was, should have been captured at the Battle of New York. The fog comes down, the English can't see him, George Washington escapes. At Yorktown, Cornwallis is trying to escape. The rivers come up, it forces them to come back. It's amazing how many times in history where you see God, how he uses weather, the storms, and the waters to accomplish his will. And he did so with us and with England. Okay, this is just to remind you the 70, whoops, here's what I wanted to do here. So this is where they started, and the whole mission was to get here for 12 years, and then to go from here, here's Amsterdam, and we're 25 miles south of Amsterdam, so they're just gonna go from here, they're gonna load up here, get here, they're gonna get on the speed well, and see if I got the next one. Whoops, went too far. Okay, forget. Gonna get on the speed well, and we're gonna make our way all the way over. This is the one I wanted, so when we leave Leiden right here, we head on over to Southampton, the Mayflower's gonna be right here, we're all gonna get together right here. We finally get together and we take off. And we take off and we get over here to Dartmouth and the Speedwell leaks. We gotta repair it. We take off again and we go all the way out and we get out way over here, 300 miles away. And then we discover it leaks again. So then we gotta come all the way back and we get over here to Plymouth, Plymouth, England. And then we fix it, doesn't work. We get them everybody loaded up and we now go on one ship and we take all the way over and now we're going across 2,750 miles, 66 days, and we finally get to the other side. So that November 11th was the day they landed when people say, ah, oh, what a great day it was. And that was just the beginning. Two months later, half are dead, and now it's March and the sun starts to come out, but they have no food. And that one Indian, Sam, Indian Samoset, walks in and he starts speaking to them 
and he introduces them to another Indian, Squanto, who'd been captured, taken back to Europe, rescued by some Franciscan monks, taught English, taught about the Bible, makes his way back over, goes to Patuxet, which is where his tribe was, which is where the pilgrims landed, but there was nobody there. And so he teams up with Samoset, and then the pilgrims arrive. Had the pilgrims not picked that place, they wouldn't have survived. Had Squanto not been captured in 1605, which is 15 years earlier, they would not have survived. And if Squanto then hadn't found his way back, looking for his family, arriving two years earlier, and learning the Indian tribes, if that wouldn't have happened, they would not have survived. That's the size of the boat, just to remind you, it was only just about this section right here. All 140 of us were gonna be right in this little section right here, all together for 66 days. Now, the one thing that they did when they landed there at Provincetown, they said, we're outside England. We don't have a charter for this land. Now, remember, they're strangers. The non-pilgrims are strangers on the boat. They are not pilgrims. They're not here for religious purposes, okay? But they've just spent 66 days together. When they landed, they go, we need to do something because we don't have a charter. We don't have any laws that govern us. And what I highlighted there in yellow in the presence of God and of one another, we covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic. And they were gonna make just and equal laws. They were gonna have elections, they were gonna vote. The idea of a king speaking next to God and telling us what to do was not how we are going to govern ourselves. They were a small community, they made their own laws, they had elections, they made laws that were just and equal. This document was the precursor to what Thomas Jefferson used when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And then what the founders used as a precursor when they built out our Constitution and the kind of government. We're not a democracy. Democracy means the most votes wins. If you all said, Randy, you need to be quiet now. We vote 51 to 50, I'd have to go sit down. A republic. A constitutional republic says we're based on laws and we govern ourselves by laws. And we are a government that's been instituted by the people, of the people and for the people. And it started here with the pilgrims. When they landed but didn't have a, they were 150, 250 miles north of where they should have been. This is one thing I want you to see. It says the water froze on our clothes and made them many times like coats of iron. They survived the two months. They put them all in a big community grave because they didn't want the Indians to know that how many of them had lost because they, they knew they'd be outnumbered. Squanto comes along, they meet, they learn how to plant corn, how to plant beans, and then there's a harvest in that fall. And you say, oh, that's why they had Thanksgiving. Well, yes and no. Yes, because they were thankful. When they were in Leiden, they discovered about the Feast of Tabernacles. They were taught that. So they had Jewish history. They understood how God responded and what he expected of his people to show things. So they understood that. Leiden was also um, invaded and attacked and was laid siege by the Spanish. And in, at one point in time in 17, I think it was 1765, they, they won their freedom. And they had a day of Thanksgiving in Leiden. So they experienced that too. So they experienced circumstances that were to give thanks. But when they got over to New, Eng New England, when they got over to Plymouth here, they weren't necessarily thankful for circumstances now. They were thankful for the truths that what they'd been taught for 12 years, that God would sustain, that God would uphold the righteousness of, of, their, of their hearts, that God would persevere with them. That was the truth. They, they believed, and they were thankful that the truth was true. They were thankful that God's word was true, that God was, in fact, faithful to his word. 
And when later in the New Testament, to you and to me, when it says that sometimes we go through things so we can share that with others, I think the thing that God wants us to share with others is not so much the particulars. You know, if I had COVID and I went and got a, you know, ivermectin or some kind of transfusion or something, that's not what God would want me to share. What God wanted the pilgrims and wants us to share is that God was faithful in the midst of it. And just as he was with me in the midst of it, he will be with you in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. And I am confident of that very truth. And that's what God wanted them to do. This is what it looks like today. If you were to visit Plymouth, they, they built a uh, replica. This is what we go visit when we go there. So right up at the top here, this is their fort. And they put the cannons right up on top right here, facing down this street. And you can see these very humble houses. And then they had a little bit of land. They're very, very small. And they would crowd in there. There's not bedrooms. There's just kind of like some bunks and some sheets that they'd pull over. They had the, the hearth inside, so they'd cook inside. And obviously, you got thatch roofs and things like that, so fire, they had to be concerned. So it was a, a perilous time. That's what it looks like. But what's fascinating to me, and on this slide, now this is modern-day Plymouth. Whoops. Where'd it go? There it is. You don't get to see it. <laughs> We're not transmitting here, unfortunately. Well, I can't show it to you. Right next to that street, about 25 yards out today, you can still go there and walk down along it, is there's a brook. And it runs the length of what that street was that we saw there. And every, I don't know what time of the year it is, when the fish swim up, there'd be hundreds and thousands of fish coming up that. Right there. That was in that Patuxet area that had been abandoned. There was bags of corn that were left there and food that was left because there was a plague, maybe smallpox that had come through and had wiped out everybody. So that brook was right there and at the top they built a grist mill and they laid on making flour and things of that sort. All of that was provided, they had fresh water now. They had fish and they had the fish, they learned how to fertilize with those fish. They had the seed, they could grind and suddenly it was like this place was, God had provided miraculously this place for them there. So my final comment. So then, it's Thanksgiving Day tomorrow. How then shall we live? I went through and <laughs> you guys don't get to see any of these slides. I don't know why. One, two, three, four. In Deuteronomy 28, 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. Isaiah 65, behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart. First Chronicles 16:10, glory in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Psalm 16:9, therefore my heart is glad. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord. 64:10, the righteous man will be glad in the Lord. Psalm 105:3, glory in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. In Acts 2.26, therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. How then should we live? We are to be glad in the Lord. Not happy, glad. So what's the difference between gladness, gratefulness, and thankfulness? There's a work that takes place in your heart that brings forth thankfulness. It's when, you, when your kids open up a present on Christmas morning and they, you look at it and you can see it in their eyes. It's not what they wanted, but they still turn to whoever it was and say, thank you. They're grateful in their heart and it expresses itself out in thankfulness. So how do I change my focus away from circumstances? Well, it says in, what, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden in Christ. And in Ephesians 6, 13, it says, having done all to stand firmly, stand. After you've done it all, stand. Do this. Do this. Set your heart. 
And then as we read the other day in Joshua 1a, it says, do not let my word depart from your mouth. These are the action things that we can do. It's not something we can, it's not the logic that we have. In fact, have you ever questioned God about whether, because someone suffered and, and they, they went through all these things and you just couldn't make sense of it? And I was thinking about that today and I was thinking, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand something in the natural. I'm trying to use the natural. Something suffers or someone goes through something and I'm trying to understand that into, but I'm, I'm having to look at the spiritual. So I've got the, the natural thing over here and I've got a spiritual truth here and I'm trying to understand the spiritual side of things but all I can look at is the, the physical stuff. My ways are above your ways, so high are above the heavens. I am trying to understand the so high stuff, but all I can look at is the stuff way down here, and they're, they're way apart. What the pilgrims learned in being thankful and grateful is that the way you understand this stuff way up here, the spiritual perspective on things, is not to set your mind on things down here, but to set your mind and your heart on things above. And to take that word and learn it and learn it and learn it. So when the things down here come along, your heart's already up here. And you can endure all circumstances because you're not grounded here, but you're grounded up here. Let's pray. Father, the the season, it's, it's, it's ripe just to be glad about so many things around us and the chance to be with family and friends and to celebrate and enjoy getting and giving gifts and good food and all of those things. But Father, it's only one day a year that that's, that seems to happen. And then we get back into the regular stuff. And then the rest of the holiday season and we'll enjoy it fully and then we get back to January. There's the January and February's coming up. And I don't know what that is ahead for us, Father, but I pray that in our, in our November that we would learn to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And that we would stand firmly and having done everything else to stand, we would stand. And we'd let not your word depart from our hearts. And that your word would be a light unto our path. So as families, Father, as a church, as dear children of God, we pray for your mercy, we pray for your wisdom to be a thankful people that live out your purpose, live out your calling. And Lord, tonight we say thank you. We say thank you, thank you, thank you. And so Lord, bless the rest of our evening and the wonderful day tomorrow in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Let's all stand. That ties into this morning. We're having our uh, staff get together. We go through Psalms, reading a Psalm a day, and uh, we're in Psalm 31 today. And part of that Psalm, David, is um, lamenting about some challenging circumstances that he's he's going through and then uh kelly was reading it today she did a great job reading the psalm this morning but it stood out i had that highlighted in my bible app on my phone and part of it it says um that 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 you are a good god and my time is in your hands and the idea behind that is is that david got to a point where he realized, he wasn't saying, God, I hope that my circumstances are in your hands. No, he, he got to a place of just walking with God and trusting God and seeing God take care of him and his circumstances over and over and over to where he confidently said, my time, my circumstances are in your hands. And then later on behind that, he would just say, so you're a good God. And you, the, the blessings he begins to talk about to those who fear, that flow out to those who 
fear him. And so, you know, ultimately we have so much to be thankful for, do we not? Uh, we look at our life in, in comparison to what Randy has clearly, um, you know, portrayed through the life of the pilgrims and whatnot. And we're like, man, uh, we're, we're grateful. We're blessed. And I know if you have family around you and uh, we're, we're, we're seeing our family grow and we're like, just, wow, man, we're grandparents now. And, and we get to see people getting saved here and baptized here and married here and all this fun stuff. Um, we're abundantly blessed. And, um, and that's God's favor in our life. Amen. So let's thank him. Lord, we thank you for loving us as you do. And thank you for our rich history when we look back at your plan for uh, this nation and to see your providence, your hand in leading and guiding and protecting and providing for those that were really seeking religious freedom and the chance to worship you and to see how you honored that and how that played out. Um, and here we are uh, in 2022 in this amazing nation that um, we believe you've birthed and we thank you for all the bounty and all the goodness and all the blessing uh, that you've bestowed upon us. And may we take, as Randy was saying, just the, the, the heart of gratitude and and enjoy and just to be thankful into our celebrations tomorrow with our family members. And I pray that we would be bold and uh, as we gather, um, we would read your word and give a, a, a reference out of your word to why we should be thankful. And, and, and we'd pray over our family and have a time of prayer just like this. And um, thank you for uh, this family, uh, Calvary La Habra, the, the, the bride, the body here. And all you've done this year, you've been so good. So we love you and, and bless uh, your church tomorrow as we uh, gather with our families in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a wonderful Thanksgiving again. And then remember, we're going to be here Sunday. And guess what that means? We officially kick off Christmas season. Isn't that weird? It's bizarre. And we're going to dedicate little Scotty on Sunday too. So come on out and celebrate with us. God bless you.